You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Back in black. <laughs> this is almost like real now. Amazing. professional. Yeah, looks great. Is Andy still on the beach in Mexico? I think he's still. He's. I think he's sleeping. Andy doesn't get up till late. Those people on the other side of ninety-four, little, just a different time zone, kind of. They're a little slower. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we always uh, would make fun of that, and he would uh, make fun of me. So this is this is good. He can't have any comebacks here. So. Good. Well, I got some good news. We're in yellow zone starting Monday, so restaurants are open finally. Oh, really? So what? Is, what is yellow? What does it go? Red, yellow, green. Red, orange, yellow, white. Um, we were mostly red for since I've been here. That's okay. totally cancel everything. Don't you remind the listeners where you're at? In Bologna, Italy. Bologna, Italy. The fat sure. one, the best food in in all of Italy. It's the capital, the foodie capital. And actually, the Bologna Warriors got a victory last weekend. And we beat Roma. Roma. Yeah. Roma. Yeah. Hey, I was going to say, I was watching the, uh, the whatever, the stream. It was on Twitch. And um, that field did not look very good, that grass. No. No, I mean, they're, is, they're, is it just rough. beat up? It was a rough field, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's, yeah. Not, it's not easy on the knees, but... Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of streamers, though. We had about 7,000 compared to the four we have right now. <laughs> four. We're going good. Hey, I know we're taking questions, and we're uh, Andy's going to probably sneak in, but uh, we might as well get going on those questions. Yeah, they haven't popped up yet, but I have to, I have to recomment them. Let's try it right here. Now, these are questions that we've been getting uh, offline. So we're adding them in, but we'll take every, anybody else's questions. It's kind of a full uh, question answered, and there's actually some, there he is. some real he good must. ones. We're, we're live, Andy. I like it. Are you in prison? So again, uh, we're starting tight at 8? Yep, 8 a.m., baby. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm on time. Yeah. <laughs> you should see it. We had a countdown and everything. Now we got questions already. Good. Our first question. All right, who's reading that? Go ahead. I can buy an investment property. It has turned into a money pit. How to get over losses or make the best of the situation? Was this was this written by my wife? Because I had I had a lot of those that happened. Um, investment properties. I'll tell you what. You need to be uh, prepared and or handy or uh, try to group your investment properties. Uh, close by so you can get a handyman to kind of stay on it all the time. Uh, we were, our investment properties went from Northfield to Minneapolis to um, Excelsior. And so when you do that, is that you, Andy? In yeah. trouble? But when you when you do that, uh, you, you lose efficiencies that way. But um, <laughs> how you get over losses is you, you keep the the best renters you possibly can in the place. Yeah, I think that, you know, also there's different ways to generate revenue off of investment properties. There's, you know, um, and if you get creative and you look at it, it doesn't have to be just cash flow. It, it can be, you know, the um, you can sell it on a CD, for example, and recapture a bunch of your money and then make a higher interest rate on the CD than you were making on the investment property. Um, there's There's so many creative ways that, you know, by doing something, you can create wealth and and generate income, or or you know, at the end of the day, you're you're farther ahead than you were when you when you started. Yeah. Um, it just consult the professional and tell them your situation and say, what do we do here? And yeah. and a good a good agent will be able to walk you through that. Well, Andy, the other thing too is that um, making the best of the situation. I mean, right now is probably the best time in which to be able to uh, capitalize on a great return on that property. So uh, if you want to kind of get over your losses and uh, make the best of the situation, you might think about selling it as well. Yeah. Now there's some tax consequences that happen. You know, you're able to 1031 things too. 
uh, which uh, 1031 exchange basically means that uh, you're transferring one investment to a new one. Uh, you have to do, um, it's, it's gotta be equal or greater than into price, how much down payment you had and how much that you borrowed. It has to be equal or greater than that to move to the next one. And then that delays your uh, taxable event uh, on that property. So maybe you want to um, take four houses that aren't doing very good and put them into one building. You know, if you add all those up and you owed 100,000 on each one and you had 200,000 of equity, you'd have to buy something for at least, or borrow at least 400 and buy something for 1.2 million. Quick math there, Andy, did you like that? I did. Well, it just goes to show that you're, uh, you're comfortable. I was gonna ask you about Mexico, Andy. Did you get one of these? Ah, uh, that's me on the left. Uh, <laughs> With the trumpet in front of your face? It's covering my face. You can hardly see me. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I had a uh, a fantastic time. I, you know, uh, every year we have a we set goals for the team, and then as they achieve those goals, we re, we reward our real estate agents on the team with a team trip every year. It's really fun. So this year was to Cancun, um, and we go Monday through Friday, all inclusive, and it's hard to beat it because then you're relaxed. You know, you don't have to worry about whipping your wallet out and having, you know, the, the, uh, paying for everything. So good group of people, great weather. High. It was almost 90 degrees every day and sunny. Um, fantastic. I, I highly recommend it. Actually turned in a real good week for you to do it too, because it was not uh, great around here. That's what I heard. Yeah. Market stayed busy, but, um, uh, the other thing is I hope you didn't uh, take in the show last week. Because we were sitting here mocking you that you weren't showing up and you were late, and then all of a sudden I remembered you were gone. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the, it's the love that really makes me come back, Chris, and uh, the caring, you know. Hey, last time you tried that, you ended up with COVID. So I got to be careful. This next question relates to this, um, Andy. Did you spend more time in the pool or the ocean? Ocean. Ocean. Yeah. Well, we got a we got a pool question here. Does a pool get a good return now? Used to always be no real value when selling. Is it different now? 100% different now. Um, but it also kind of depends on the pool that you're you're doing. You know, um, there's there's uh, in-ground pools that are obviously very nice. And oh, there you go, just like that. And uh, that look really good. And then uh, give, give a... Uh, kind of a compliment to the house and it becomes a lifestyle thing. You got to watch out for faulty liners and it's got to be in good shape because people, that's a really nice pool. Um, and that's uh, kind of in a different realm of a house. But if you have like a above ground pool, Andy, how do you feel? How do you feel about those right now? I mean, especially like um, that one. Well, with the I think, I think we all admit they look trashy. Um, they, they, uh, you know, but it, it serves a purpose. I mean, if you've got young kids, and they want to swim, um, and I'm not sure what's going on in my background here. Um, it's fancy. There's a fire. I did the building. <laughs> um, the, uh, no, but I think I think they do look a little trashy. I think that it looks like it's an afterthought. It's kind of like the, you know, something where you're, you're it's a stick on versus you know being part of the original. Um, but if you have kids and they want to swim and you want to cool off in the summer and you're only going to have it for five, six, seven years while the kids will use it. And then you get rid of it. I think it's about the smartest thing you could do because you put up a pool like that, let's say for ten grand with a little deck around it, versus spending one hundred and fifty thousand to do a real pool with, um, you know, I mean, not well with lumber prices now. The deck's probably ten grand. Would you take a pool like that there, and that's probably a sixty-five, seventy thousand dollar pool as it sits? But most people see how they've got the railing right up tight to the concrete. That's for budget reasons. Um, otherwise, you know, if somebody has an estate like the other picture. Um, Nick that you had where there's there's not a you can't see a fence um, and you can actually they built yep and they built the cabana that's where when they have a little higher budget um, you'll start seeing options like that and then they stone everything and make it look really cool and like it's built in um, but but right there you might be at uh, 250,000 by the time you build the cabana and all the stonework so Andy Andy would you like right now if you're going to a house and, and going to list it would you what advice would you give to that person uh, to remove that above ground pool or do we keep it? Well, we, we've had uh, last year, I had really good luck with up in Otsego. We listed a really nice two story that funny enough, I built it like 18 years ago for this couple. 
And uh, they had a big above ground pool. They were super like, they loved it. And they were like, yeah, we get it. It's kind of odd. It's, you know, it, but, but they loved it. And they said, we would like to keep it up. And so we took photos and, and we just owned it. And we were like, Hey, take a look at this really awesome pool. Um, if you don't want the pool, here's what it costs to remove it. And here's how, what it'll look like without the pool, Did a little Photoshop magic. And um, it, it turned out really cool. And they sold that house and the people that bought the house bought it because it had the pool and it was going to call this, you know, so it's kind of funny that, you know, for, for one man's trash is another man's treasure. And, and it's so true when it comes to items like that. Yeah. I think Andy too, I think in this whole COVID world, where you can't get a pool anymore. I mean, it's gonna take over a year to get a pool. Uh, it's taken over a year to get a liner. And some people, um, I think it would be better right now. Uh, two years ago, I would have said every time to uh, remove that pool. And mm -hmm. now I would say, keep it. Yeah. And, and give the option, just like you said, that, hey, we can it can get removed. And uh, this is what it would take. And here, here's what it would look like. Cause some people might not like it, but I think it, it, right now, I, I don't think it would hurt the value of the house. I don't know how much it would um, expand it. At least I I personally don't give it a lot of expansion uh, uh, when it comes to price. But uh, a lifestyle type pool, I definitely give value now. Well, like like my my next uh, purchase, um, I, I, I want to pool. You know, yeah. so if I don't do the lakefront, I'll tell you what. Think about this. Those people selling on the lakes are bananas. Now I want 800,000 for 50 feet of frontage on the lake. And it's like, it's crazy. So, you know, so to have that lake frontage or you go buy a nice, a nice piece of land that has the trees and the place for a fire pit and, you know, or whatever you want to have outside. And then you put a nice pool in for 150,000, tell a lot cheaper than going to 850 for the lot. Now you've got $2 million tied into a piece of real estate, you know, it, it so, and I'm not, I'm not just, um, I'm just saying that 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 price point right now on lakes is, is just bananas. I mean, people are are throwing money up that that shouldn't be thrown up, and and they're doing it because they can. And in a couple of years, when when economies change, those people are going to have to take a loss to sell, or or that the neighbors will will benefit from their overpricing when prices, you know, obviously have gone up, but they'll soften a little, I think. But you know, you talk about lifestyle, and a perfect example of that was really uh, my family. When we were um, we we were living on the lake, and it was a fifty foot wide lot, and kind of uh, not much room to play catch or anything. And me and Nick would have to play on the street, and we ended up selling that and then buying a home on acreage, eight acres that had a pool, and oh. we paid we paid half the money and got twice the house. You know, because moving from the lake over to there, it was a great place in which to raise your kids. Now it's kind of fun, kind of as the world turns and. Some people end up in Italy and the other one's going that now we ended up back on the lake. So yeah. um, it just depends. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people go from different lifestyles, from golf course to acreage to lakeshore yeah. uh, on that. So that was a pool question. We kind of flipped it around. We always do. What is the difference between a contract for deed and a rent to own? Law. <laughs> One's on uh, title and one's not. It's the simplest way to say it. The, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, when you get into a contract for deed, you're actually put on the title, um, you know, and you actually have an agreement in play and then, and then you're using the seller as the bank. So they're financing the sale. Now, if the seller has uh, a loan, there, there's some, you know, some of those people are, are, they don't read the fine print on their loans. They're not supposed to, to offer a contract for deed. Um, yeah, there's a, you're right. And there's a huge opportunity for somebody to be mischievous. Um, you know, you put 10% down or 5% down on a house, you secure the house, then you sell it on a contract for deed and you take 20% down from the CD because they have bad credit and they need to, you know, they, they can't get a loan. And all of a sudden you've tripled your money and you don't care if it defaults or not, or, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that that could get spun. So banks to protect themselves, do what they call it, do one sale clause, like Chris said where they, they don't have the opportunity to, you're not supposed to. <clears throat> and then the um, the rent to own is real simple. That's a way to get a tenant to stick with you long-term. If you own a, a house or a townhouse and uh, they give you a deposit and they'll a lot of times credit you a portion of your rent per month or your deposit um, uh, towards purchasing the house in a couple of years, but there's no, 
it's a contract. It's you're not on the deed. So you don't, you're not protected. So I always tell people when you do a rent to own, um, if you do it, um, just make sure it's not a net equity lease, like where they, those are almost questionably illegal. Um, a rent to own would be you're renting. And then basically in a couple of years, they give you an opportunity to buy the house at a fair price and you go, you go from being a renter to an owner. Yeah. Typically, I mean, it's maybe sometimes called rent with an option. And what happens that money Andy's talking about that you put up front is option money. It's the option to be able to agree to something later on. And maybe that agreement is uh, put in writing right now and says, hey, if you buy it after year one, it's this much money, year two, it's this much money. And maybe like he said, some of the rent goes towards uh, some of that payment, maybe down payment and or that it might be, hey, you know what, we're, we're renting it and in two years we'll have an appraiser. You have an appraiser, I have an appraiser, and we'll kind of come to the middle ground of what it's worth. So there's a lot of ways in which to skin a cat in that in that way. But Andy's right on a contract for deed. And I think the biggest thing you can um, kind of figure out, unless there's a little caveat to this, but on a contract for deed, if you have a contract for deed, unless otherwise stated, that person that's got the contract for deed and lives there can turn around and sell it to somebody else as well and get you paid off. But there's a lot of ways in which to go around that. And Andy, what's another reason that people would do a contract for deed? I know I know one is, is that let's just say you've had a rental property for um, 20 years and you've yep. depreciated it. Yep. And when you depreciate it and you sell it, you end up having to pay taxes. Yeah. And, and if you made a gain. So some people on a contract for deed don't want all that money up front or don't want the taxable event until maybe they're not making any money. And so a contract for deed is a way in which to get a, a probably now anywhere from five to 7%, uh, a lot better than what you could do in a savings account and then yep. uh, delay their taxable gain. Correct. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and again, when you, when you start playing with the numbers, um, the, uh, when, when, and some people don't even, you know, that are watching this, maybe, you know, when you talk about depreciating a property, Chris, um, you know, where you take as an investment and the, the cost to own it and it's, it's getting worn out and they can write off a certain percentage of the, of the value of it per year. So what it does is there's, there's a, what, uh, how do you explain that, Chris? Like there's well, a, you, got, you basically got 27 years to appreciate what the asset is, not the land, yeah. but the asset. So if it's $270,000 of what that's worth every year, it's $10,000 that you yep. can act like you didn't get. Well, what that right. does is you got 10,000 of income and depreciated 10,000. That's a net zero gain. Right. It, so, so it, what they do is they, but they depreciate it down to what they call zero. So eventually like if you've owned it that long, and anything above zero then becomes taxable. So if you've appreciated, if you, you know, um, whatever, and then all of that money that you've written off over the years to lower your taxes. So if you're a high earner, it's a fantastic tool to, to soften the tax blow when you're earning those big dollar years and you use an asset like this to actually soften that a little bit, um, for an example, and, and talk to your tax person if that applies to you. Um, but at the end of the day, the idea there is it's a tool and it's a wealth building tool. And so, you know, you take advantage of the depreciation. Maybe you don't. Some people don't want to do that. Some people, for whatever reason, won't do that. Um, and they just want to live off the income. So, like, they pay cash for an asset like that. And they're living on the cash on cash return. So you buy it for two seventy. dollars You charge, you know, $2,000 a month. And, you know, you're looking at your $24,000 return a year, which is under 10%. And maybe that's what you're happy with. But mm -hmm. most people like to ride the appreciation. And when you finance a property, the cash on cash returns get huge because you put 20% down and now you're making, you know, 40% ROI, you know, cash on cash. So it can, it can get pretty lucrative pretty fast. Awesome. Rosy colored glasses, fell in love with the home. No other homes compare. How to, how do I get over the one? So they so missed more, out on the deal. Okay. They more than likely lost out on the deal. And, and I'll tell you what, to me, yeah, that is uh, some of the worst parts about uh, multiple offers and losing. Because what happens is that people get, um, they, I mean, they stop almost. I mean, you stop them in their tracks in a way. And uh, it just is, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm one of those that kind of warns them up front. You know that this is what happens with multiple offers and sometimes you can't help it and kind of almost guard them against getting super excited and it kind of goes the opposite of what we're taught 
is to get them as excited as you can because you want them to buy that house. And then, uh, but there's kind of some, we got to temper that excitement a little because if they lose out, we got to get them that next one. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a weird, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing. But I think, I think what people have to understand is that there is more than one. There's more than one home out there. Um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, now you might, or here, here's, I'm going to give my little Andy's analogy here. You know, back when you were, um, you know, before social media and stuff like that, you didn't think there was nothing else in the world, but your little town and you had to jump on it right then. And, you know, that's the same with houses, you know, you'd have to drive around and find them. But now uh, relationships are built online. You can go anywhere you want and houses are all online. And so now you'll, you'll be open to more and see more. And I'll tell you what, some people, yeah, they, they miss out and they feel like, oh, God darn it, I should have got that one. But there typically is a, a, something that'll solve it for you and or give you something more than maybe what you thought you were going to get before. We Have you been finding on the multiple offers, Andy, that they, they're sticking with the same price or sometimes they're kind of floating upwards? Uh, yeah, but, you know, I'm starting to see the marketplace. Um, it depends on the area, but I am seeing the market where when we have um some of these more executive level homes um where we're starting to see where the market has has you know drank enough inventory to where they're they're actually you know there's only so much saturation there's only so much absorption of of product in, in certain market pockets and then it gets to the point of where there's only so many people that can afford a million dollar house there's only so many people that can afford a half million dollar house unless their jobs or, or life circumstances change and 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 good for them they they now uh, are eligible for that, um, but you know on the other hand, there's there's just a ton of people right now fighting for the bottom of the market on price, right? Because it's affordable. And if you look at you know the uh, we call it attainable housing, where you look at an area, and if you look at the average income in that area, and you take a percentage of that income and dedicate it towards a rent payment, that's the investment level you should be at in that area for a rental property. On the other hand. If you're looking at like builders, same thing. They look at the house payment and can this can the average person afford attain uh, based on their income uh, the product that I'm I'm building, and that that's ultimately you know you want to balance that all out. But at the end of the day, it comes down to where usually house appreciation has to kind of follow uh, the income. You know, so last year the average was four percent, I think nationwide for for income um, going up, and houses went up across the board probably nine to ten percent. So there, there is a little bit of a gap separating. So we, we should have, um, I don't want to say the word correction, but when rates go up, you'll see things slow down a little bit with the buyers. And so then it'll seem like there's lots of inventory again, you know, so. Yeah, we went uh, last week uh, on an offer 10% over um, the, what the price point was and, and got beat out. <laughs> so that, that wasn't great. Yeah, it was five five fifty to go to 600000 and um and we definitely weren't first but everything else was uh really good um example of uh it's kind of the market it, it does depend they ended up with 40 some offers had 85 showings you know and that was at the 550 price point uh kind of in that uh plymouth maple grove why is that an area yeah so. yeah speaking of, speaking of inventory the question here does oh no it says what event can lead to a sudden surplus in inventory? Lots of things. <laughs> I mean, what event can lead to sudden surplus? You, usually optimism, like in the, um, but we, I'll tell you what, right now, like with builders back in the early 2000s, when they anticipated the market growing and going crazy, and they were almost building foolishly, they, they weren't doing as much research. They were just, money was easy to get their hands on. And so they were, you know, building spec homes. They were building developments. They were, you know, just putting it out there because the returns were so good. Um, and lots of, lo tons of people became millionaires back in the early 2000s. And then when it shut off, those that were leveraged basically moved in their parents' basement. And so, you know, it, it, it it's a tough market. So a surplus, um, like right now, as, as the aging population of baby boomers that are holding on to their their uh, executive level homes because they cannot find a replacement. I think as they get to the point of where they're like, okay, I can't do the stairs anymore. Eventually, those houses will trickle onto the market again. Um, as soon as 
you know, the balance of the market comes out. Like, this is what I'm saying. So mom and dad sell their house for half a million dollars. And they're like, wow, we, we paid off that big house after 30 years. We have all this money. And then they go out shopping, um, you know, detached slab-on-grade Ramblers. And they're 460000 for a slab-on-grade Rambler that's brand new. And they just, they don't see the value. They're like, I'm not going to sell that big, beautiful house for only half a million if this is 460000 You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it, there's a surplus can, is just a circumstance, you know, when the, when the cross on the, on the charts hit just right. Andy, I think, I mean, uh, what event, I'm going to say what, I mean, the event that can do it is fear, I guess. True. Um, fear is something that could add sudden surplus and uh, fear of interest rates going crazy and people aren't going to be able to get out of their house. Um, fear that, uh, um, uh, a state is changing. I think a lot of people, and I, I believe I've gotten it, uh, fear about Minnesota um, and what was happening this last uh, week. And if it if it continues, you know, is there something that says, "Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to live around that. I don't want my house getting burned." You know, I mean, look at Portland. I mean, what? I mean, if you live down there, what do you, what are you doing? You know, are you? I mean, and and you know, I mean, the media always makes it probably worse than what it is, and sensationalism and stuff, and we don't know what it's really like uh, down there. But we're not. I mean, other than maybe down downtown um, Minneapolis, we're not seeing. I mean, we just had a listed on there that went in multiple offers again. So um, I, I guess it's not uh, happening yet. But I think fear is a big thing. Well, and remember too, you know, in, in some of those pockets you're going to go through phases where there, there might be some really nice buying opportunities here, you know, where all of a sudden, you know, the, the neighborhood seems like not the place that you want to live at the moment. That's usually when everybody else is in fear, that's usually a good time to buy, yeah. um, you know, and so you go in there and scoop up some really good deals. And then when the market comes back, you sell and you make a killing. There you go. I think that's more that when there's blood on the streets buy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking Speaking of Minnesota, uh, a question, how to find good inspectors in Minnesota? I mean, I would I would definitely consult your uh, real estate agent. They've probably vetted all of them and, and uh, have the ones that they feel good about uh, with that. Obviously, you know, how everyone's doing it is with reviews, but I don't know. I mean, are inspectors getting a ton of reviews out there? I mean, I, online and stuff? You know, I think it's funny because the consumer that doesn't have a referral, they literally will bring the guy up from the other side of town that's 50 bucks cheaper. <clears throat> and I think they're hiring the, the inspectors for the wrong reasons. They're like, well, that guy's only 300 bucks. The other guy was 450. Um, and then you get the other extreme where you bring in the company that's $1,400 that brings in seven professionals and they act like they're doing an autopsy, you know, and it's like. They got lots of tools. Yeah. They got all the tools They bring in all the professionals. And I sit there and I go, as a listing agent in that situation, when they bring in the the, the team where they have, you know, the $1,400 inspection, <clears throat> I'm almost ready to cancel. I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with this because no house is perfect, number one. Even brand new houses when they're built day one are not perfect. So so thank you. Um, number two, wear and tear on a house is usually visual um, and you can see it and you can see where they maintained or didn't maintain it. When there's a major problem, it, it I don't know. I, 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 I'd be honest with you. I think that there's there's a lot of times, unless there's something suspicious, you know, where it's like, oh, when you flush the toilet, the sink burgles upstairs. Well, yeah, then investigate that. But I mean, if it's most part, you know, if a leak, there's a leak in the roof, you know, if there's going to be foundation cracks because you, you can see it, um, you know, you can tell if they're settling around the foundation. So anyway, I, I think that home inspection really just makes the unexperienced buyer feel comfortable. And I'm seeing a lot of people nowadays buying houses without inspections. And they're bringing along that contractor with them to take a look at it and say, hey, I think we're good to go. Don't even, don't do an inspection. We're, uh, you know, I think I can handle this project for you. Let's go. So, but but you need to do what you're comfortable with. If you're not comfortable, then get an inspector. That's what I tell everybody. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of times now here in Minnesota, I mean, a lot of people are going past that inspection or doing just high level inspections. Um, and sometimes, I mean, what you're worried about is the big ticket items. I mean, there is going to be um, costs in owning a home and updates and repairs and stuff like that. And I think uh, people have to realize that it's not the inspection isn't for every little thing that uh, 
doesn't work. I mean, sometimes you can get them, sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't even get a house if you offer to pay an inspection. So think about home warranties as well. At least they'll yep. kind of solve some of the problems with um, mechanical type stuff. And then, um, you know, uh, obviously you can have the, the the roof looked at you can figure it out uh, they have they have all these programs that tell you exactly where um the hail all the hail storms were uh on that and if your house is less than 10 years old and it was built uh there is a structural warranty still in place as well um with the builder yeah so. you guys didn't like my uh dr gadget photo that, that's, andy's, gadget arms. that's andy's inspector right there all the tools look at them. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I still love, I've used the same guy for probably 15 years, at, oh, retired plumber, um, fantastic guy, knows how to uh, understand what, uh, a huge thing with most inspectors that they never spend the time on, Chris, is a thing called emotional intelligence. They go in there and they think their job is to fear the crap out of a customer. It's not. It's to educate, inform, and help them walk through the buying process. And so, you know, the, the emotional intelligence part of it's the, I found 17 problems and here's how I'm going to save you from not getting stuck with this lemon. Well, oh my God, every house has 17 problems. It's a matter of what do you want to fix? What do you want to not fix? Um, is it, or is it too expensive for the price you've offered? That's really what you're trying to figure out is that, hey, I offered 600000 on this house. It needs 50000 worth of windows. Um, I don't want to pay that, so I'm out. And that, that's what an inspection is for. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing, Andy. Do, do you think sometimes um, those 17 problems they found justifies what you just paid them? So if you can go after the seller and try to get those paid, then you can justify paying that uh, yeah. inspector. When to turn, you know, that inspector is just, I mean, should be um, just giving you the information so then you can make an educated decision on, on what you want to do. But um, I, when we go into the inspections, I always tell people, I say, you know what, you know what it took to get this house and to win it. And now we have an inspection process on it and you, you're, pro you're probably not going to get anything. So go into it thinking, you know, there's two to $3,000 of weird little things that you're going to have to end up taking care of. If those weird little things weren't there, that price wouldn't have been what you got it at either. You know, and that's why um, existing houses don't cost as much as brand new houses because they're not brand new. <laughs> so there you go bellissimo very beautiful in italian wow great I'm, job I'm, I'm really surprised that you knew what that word was <laughs> it was hey, to the listeners can you like he knows it? every pickup line in italy a couple couple, a couple. <laughs> but i was going to ask the, the viewers if they could just like the video it helps with the, the engagement get this thing riled up Next question, what are the pros and cons of high open ceilings? I have a photo too. High open ceilings, here we go. I have some thoughts on high open, okay, oh, there, cool. there you go, yeah. So how about um, cooling that room in the summer, Andy? Is that Nick's apartment? I'd probably, I don't know. I don't know where he, he's, I don't know, I don't think it is, but I mean, high ceilings do cause, uh, energy issues uh but boy they're they're awful cool too to be able to have but it's typically warm in the summer and hot or cold in the winter because it's really hard to control um heating and cooling when it comes to that i, I agree with you a million percent and it, it depends on the age of the the person you know and it seems like the people that are building a house to impress other people they want those big open two-story great rooms and big windows and all the inefficiencies that that those items can bring and then you get the guy guy and gal that are trying to retire, and they'll say, yeah, nine-foot ceilings are just fine. And uh, let's put in some nice transom windows so it looks nice. We can see a bunch. And then, uh, you know you know what I'm saying? It's like it's a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, uh, But I, I think, I mean, high ceilings are uh, the glitz and glamour uh, part of it. But I think the reality of it um, is a little different. And I think you can still capture some of that without getting – super crazy and obviously the real big houses um you know uh don't really worry about that because the energy costs are probably not uh that uh scary to them or you know yeah, you do yeah. stuff you you do something like that i don't know the summer's not going to really help but in the winter if you do like uh heat, heated floors 
um, that radiates from the floor and goes up. I think you're a lot better off in that situation. And you know, that photo that's there is actually a very interesting photo. It's, it, it provokes a lot of thoughts that I have with, you know, you look at that and that looks like it's a penthouse on a, on a condo. And it looks like to add more square footage, they did a hanging loft, which is super cool. And, you know, if that's an office or if that's a, you know, a, a library or whatever it is up there, um, it creates more space within the room, but yet yeah, doesn't take away from the openness that you paid for be up on the top floor. So in that application, I think it's really a cool way to do it and utilize more square footage. Hey, Andy, the builder, on that photo, tell me what uh, is not to code. Everything. Uh, the railings. Where? Well, there's no staircase uh, handrail down the side <laughs> of the handrail. That's the one I was looking at. Yep. There's no railing on those stairs going upstairs. On the, the wire up on the upper level, too. Um, that actually is, you know, you have to be able to fit a tennis ball. It has to, like, resist a tennis ball. I mean, it, it's times have changed. You used to be able to stick a kid through there. Now you can only stick a tennis ball. Yeah. Yeah, you could get your head in there and get it stuck. I'm sure it's happened to you multiple times, you know, um, the uh, over the years. But That goes back to the inspection, though. I mean, yeah. you're, if you're buying an old house like that, um, you know, they're not to code and the railings aren't to code. And so you have to kind of uh, deal with that and and, and yeah. understand that from the beginning. I, I see that all the time with electrical. You know, and some of it's scary, but I mean, some of that old electrical is probably better than what we're dealing with right now. And you know, everyone wants it changed and GFCIs and that, that's a whole nother show topic, but I would I'd like to bring that up because we see that a lot where people are like, Well, this electric isn't up to current code, or this handrail isn't up to current code. Well, yeah. compared to who? It was approved at that time because that was the code when it was installed. So it does meet code. And yeah. and the fact is if you touch it and you improve it then you have to bring it up to current code. Otherwise you can leave that, you know, 10 inch gap. If that's what it was back in the day, you don't have to update that. So there's a lot of fallacies with that. And I think that there's, you know, different kinds of financing that sometimes will, the, the appraisers will decide that they want to weigh in on their opinion on that they need to have these updated when a lot of times they, it's none of their business. I was going to say that probably is in a, in a different country maybe, because I know the rules a lot of different areas are very lax. Some places I've been to, I mean, didn't seem like there's any rules. You do what you wanted. Andy, I want to tell you kind of a funny story about that whole railing thing you are just talking about, where it wasn't a code. And I went over to this house to go look at it for um, these clients. And uh, their little kid was kind of running around. But he had like, you know how they have those little inner tube things on, um, you know, like when they're by the water? They have those inner tubes. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Around their, they I had think that. I've seen you in that swimsuit before, haven't yeah, I? Exactly, exactly. Well, that in that one that this kid had it because of those railings. They put it on him, so he didn't go through those railings because he was hey. tricking around with them. He thought it was cool wearing that yeah. inner tube type thing. We we uh, in our old house, we Lisa and I, we lived over in Brooklyn Park. We had these great friends, this uh, Mike and Trina, and their little boys were the same age as our little kids. And we're over there one night. We used to always we we used to. Trina, by the way, if she's ever watches this show, I would say Trina's Cucina. She she had one of the best kitchens. I, I mean, she is an amazing chef. Anyway, so we were sitting there having one of her amazing meals. We're mesmerized. And the kids, of course, run around. After they get tired of playing downstairs, they come upstairs. And it's it, this was a um, – I think it was a four-level. You came in, then you went up to the dining room and the kitchen, bedrooms. You go down to the family room. And so we're sitting there having dinner. And this little Sam Kennedy comes in there and says, hey, mom and dad. Um, and he's, he's teasing his brother through the railings. And this kid's like yelling at his brother through the railings. And next thing you hear is, oh, boing, kaboom. This kid is laying on the floor holding two spindles going. <laughs> this kid, he fell forward, hit the couch, bounced up in the air, flipped in the air, and landed on his back. And he's sitting there holding his spindles going, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, was it I, just I, two I, spindles? Yeah, I never belly laughed that hard in my life because that kid is one of the coolest kids. And anyway. Was it just there. the two spindles that he had or the whole railing went with him? No, just those two spindles. They must have been loose. And he must have just, you know, sometimes when they set spindles, they lift up and then they drop them in and they glue and they'll usually pin nail them yeah. so that they can't lift them. These were never pin nailed, so he, he must have just lifted them up and then, oof. No. Anyway, 
And you're laughing at the poor kid. The poor kid's, I mean, his whole life is scarred, and you're laughing at him. Oh, he grew up, he's a Marine now. He's some stud. Uh, He's probably jumping out of planes. Yeah, he's probably saving my life every day, and I I don't even know. (laughs) Thank you for your service, Sam. (laughs) Uh, We have a next question. Found a house by the highway. Price is right, and home fits all I want. Is it the right move to buy a home so close to the highway? That's up to the individual person. Just know that the highway might affect the sale later on. Um, but that's exactly what happens is that, you know, you, you justify and buyers justify every day. And they say, you know what? I've got the four bedrooms upstairs. I got the porch that I wanted. Yeah, it's close to the highway, but I can commute a lot faster this way. They, they justify it. And you just have to, you're not going to be priced like the other people. Um, what do you think, Andy? I know you're going to comment, but also comment about like a price point, how much less it would probably be being close to the highway. Um, it says on mic. Oh, there we go. It says if you don't beat up the uh, the uh, the seller and and buy it right, when you go to sell it, somebody will beat you up to buy it right. Yeah. So in that situation, you have to buy correctly. There's um, no forgiveness of there's there's a percentage of the people that will live on train tracks, busy roads. Power lines in the backyard, um, ponds, um, the you know, uh, it just but but in urban areas like this and in suburban areas, a lot of times the the cities they do a great job of helping the developers design um, communities where they all have nice big backyards and they they don't have that you know like afterthought kind of a feeling. Now there's a few places and I apologize if anybody listening is is in these developments. There's one that I saw right on the corner of Highway 7 and 494 recently that developed. And I mean, you can look in there as you're driving by and see what they're eating for breakfast. And I'm like, no, thank you. And and I I hope they paid a really fair price for those because there's not not everybody's going to want to have that busyness in their background. Now, on the other hand, I've had other areas where you live downtown and you like to see, you know, um, commerce happening, people out buying the paper and walking their dogs and that kind of busyness is sometimes, you know, actually sought after. Yeah. You know, some, some things to kind of help with that um, are like water features. I've had one before where it's, it's close to a a road and where if you can kind of get some water um, mixed in with it. So a water fountain or a waterfall type thing that uh, it kind of could play off that uh the the noise in the back but i think the bigger problem is i know exactly the area you're talking about andy and i saw those houses go up but there's a lot of them like so if you're along 494 i mean you have all the sound barriers you know that are by you so you kind of get away from that you hear kind of a little hum but it's not horrible but it is it's the things like highway seven that goes uh you know that's very busy it's constant um on there the other thing you can do is uh get fencing you know, because one of the biggest things people are afraid of is being close to a road like that, that someone's going to, um, you know, their kid's going to run out or their dog or their pet or whatever is going to run out in the street and get hit. So if you do some fencing, uh, that that can help as well. And then again, people then justify it. You know, I backed up to Highway 13 in Prior Lake, my first house, and it was totally fine because I'm like, gosh, I got this house. It's a great house. It's a big rambler. I just didn't open the windows. Then eventually, within about four years, when I one of the longest ones I've stayed in the house, but about four years, I'm like, oh my gosh, these trucks going by, I can't take it, I can't, and they, and they started really bothering me. So I sold yeah. it to a good, I sold it to a good buddy of mine who who was fine with it too, and yeah. uh, and it's and it's been no problem selling, but it was also it had lake right. access, and so you justify it. Hey, that's there fine. I'm back up to the road, but I'm on the lake. Pros and cons, right? You can make that yeah. list. But I'll tell you what, so, you know, kind of going back to when you talked about freeway walls, they, they don't always put those in. So so what happens is, like, if, if you're living in an existing neighborhood, like I remember growing up in Brooklyn Park and having where all of a sudden they decided the old River Road wasn't good enough, West River Road, and they decided to add 252 um, right up through the middle of the city. And then they did 610 across the north side. When they removed people's homes, and part of the arrangement was then they would put up those freeway berms around the outside, or they would put up walls or a combination of both. And and so that was part of their, 
you know, um, gift, or if you will, back to the city for saying, hey, thanks for putting this traffic through your area. Let's make it so that it's it's no big deal. And, right. and for a lot of families, I, I don't see that as being a negative. Actually, I've sold a couple of houses that back up to firms and people don't care. Straight up, people don't care because it's it's done correctly. The development I was talking about earlier, they built it after the roads were already there. And so then the MnDOT doesn't come in there and say, oh, we feel sorry for them. Let's fix it. They're like, hey, you saw what was here and you decided to build here. You know, then it's a, a different situation. Yeah, the other situation there was that used to be heavily treed. And then to be able to build the houses, they had to take some trees down and they almost all came down. And when that happens, you know, it opens you up. So, Correct. Next question. How can I get floor plan feedback? Floor plan feedback. Um, ask Andy. I mean, really, I mean, talk to, talk to a, a realtor. Um, obviously, a builder or an architect would probably be better in which to do, but also a stager or designer can certainly help you and, and kind of determine how you live. And then if that floor plan is going to work for you. But a lot of people have problems with space and not knowing how big things are. Mm -hmm. So take that floor plan and then start going out and looking at houses. I just had uh, someone um, sent me a message and said, oh, my gosh, I loved I loved your model. Can I have all the dimensions of every room, you know, so I can kind of figure it out? And I said, well, all of our plans are custom. We can't do that. But um, that is something that, you know, you go and in. Why, and do you, why do you do? Why do you say that, Chris? I mean, because that that's we get asked that almost every day. Can I get a copy of the blueprint? Yeah. Well, what are they going to do with it? Uh, go bring it to a bunch of people and price it out. Got that right. And, and then the reality is, is that once someone has built it, they know exactly what the costs are and the other person doesn't. So uh, I think that's a tough one. But, you know, for ours, we don't ever build the same house twice. Right. And so it's it's proprietary to our client that we're not going to give their plan away. And so oh, and there, yeah. there's not many a times, trust me, I've been bidding out houses for years where, you know, they say, oh, we got a copy of a floor plan we want you to bid out. And they white out all of the builder information or now, you know, you just obviously Photoshop it out or whatever. Yeah. And then they give me the prints. And then I what, what people don't realize we do is I actually take the first level of the house. I take the second level of the house, make it transparent, a different color, and I line them up. And the first thing I see is that, oh, my God, they don't even line up. Mm -hmm. It's very common, ladies and gentlemen, I know this will come across as a shock, that both plans are not perfect, that they purposely make them so that they don't fit, so that in the exact application you have them, uh, where you're trying to get another guy to bid out their plan, it doesn't work out, or the square footages are incorrectly quoted, or there's, you know, the room sizes are, you know, embellished a little. And and so I've, I've found that, you know, um, especially in a very competitive environment with custom building, you can spend four, five, six, ten thousand dollars on drawing a plan with a drafter, and then the draftsman, you know, like I for years um, used Croy Design and uh, Sean Erickson up there. The guy's a wizard, and his whole crew up there—they're fantastic. Highly recommend them. And I'm not endorsed or pay them to do that, by the way. Um, they sit down with you, they design the house the way you want it, they customize it. And then they ask you things like, what kind of energy efficiencies do we want to call out? What kind of specs do you want to have on the house? Like, do you want a real three-quarter inch floor? Do you want LVT? Do you want vinyl? Do you want, you know? And so then you walk through every aspect of the house. Then you can have the plan. And then you go out and say, okay, I really like these three builders. Give them the plan and the specs and say, please provide me the proposal. That way you own the plan. Um, the builders don't mind because they don't have any money invested other than their time. And they, a lot of times, will bid it out for you. So if you're trying to shop builders competitively, that's the fairest, easiest way to do it. Yeah. It was interesting. We were in a, a builder meeting the other day with Homes by Tradition. And uh, Dean Nelson was talking about the size of the rooms um, matching for, like, carpet uh, allotments and the width of carpet and um, not having to use double rolls and seams and stuff to be able to save money. And that's, that to me is really interesting. When you put design, um, that kind of thought into a design, uh, you know, to try to get every efficiency you can. But then then it's kind of like, because I want beams in the family room, you know? So there's other areas that we can save and we call it, and I know you do too, Andy, but value engineering. That yeah. we're, we're looking at things that, you know, aren't gonna make any difference to you really 
And it's like, wow, I would have done that, no problem. Well, that's going to save you. And some some roofing designs and, and things like that can save you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, and it, that's that's exactly what it's designed to do. Stacking bathrooms, putting bathrooms back to back, you know, sharing flues, you know, for the, the ventilation. Um, like in what you're talking about there, Chris, too, every little thing comes into the equation. You know, everything from the carpet, the materials, the flooring. I mean, if you can cut through a room and not have to make one cut and your planks are 12 feet wide, and you can put wood flooring in there and there's no cuts, they're gonna get that floor done in half the time. Hence, they should pass the savings along. So value engineering is something that a lot of the big boys use and custom builds a lot of times don't take advantage of that because it's custom. Yeah. The room's 13 feet wide. So you have to put a seam in there, you know, it's like, yeah. come on. Yeah. We got a comment, which is amazing because our other questions were sent in to us. It's by uh, Greg. Should offers based on appraisal be ignored? Based on appraisal? Um, appraisals, again, I talk about this a lot, that uh, appraisals are what the, the bank uh, needs. It's not what the purchase price is. <laughs> you know, I mean, because of market value. Market value is based on what a buyer's willing to buy and a seller's willing to sell it for. Now, if they can't finance it, well, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Um, and, and that buyer might not be that person, but there's a lot of things happening out there in the marketplace now that are no appraisal. I mean, there's appraisal guarantees, meaning that uh, this, this offer is not contingent upon an appraisal because things are going over uh, full price. And if you don't want to do it, someone else is going to do it. Well, and here's the other problem. So one of the properties I sold about three weeks back, um, we had 12 offers. And, and the buyers don't know that. They just know that their offer either got accepted or rejected. And we've got also, now I've got a smart aleck appraiser out there trying to, you know, hey, can you send me comps? Hey, can you do this? And I'm like, I'll be honest with you. The, the second you make me do anything, I'm going to go with the second offer. We'll cancel on you guys because the second offer was within five grand of you guys and it was cash. And, and then we don't have to deal with you. So right now, I'll be honest with you, the, the appraisers are in a real tough spot. Because you get arrogant guys like me that are protecting my sellers saying, hey, you know, what are you doing talking to me? Why would you dare? How dare you question me as a listing agent, right? And then, and then, but they're, they're in that position where sometimes the market is just exceeding the values by 20, 30, 40, 50,000. And the good news about an appraisal is appraisals usually pull back the reality of, of skyrocketing. It usually curves it a little bit and softens it. So it's not going like this because we've seen what happens in markets if they go like that. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting time right now. And where it, before it used to be, oh, just pray as a listing agent that it would appraise, you know, uh, and otherwise we had no leverage whatsoever. Right. The buyer was going to just get it for less. It was just the way it was. Well, no like more. Greg said there, should, should offers based on appraisal be ignored? I don't know anybody that would order an appraisal because an appraisal is 450 bucks or more, um, you know, but if it's an estate, for an example, like with if you let's say you and your siblings have inherited a property and you have three appraisals on it, should you set the list price based on the appraisals? I, I think that's only fair. I mean, if you look at the three appraisals and you're basing the value on it, because um, appraisals look at history, um, market value looks at what it's worth. Different. Would you agree with that, Chris? I do. Do you want me to make you a plaque to put in your office with that on there? If Yes. I need more. Is, can you see I need more pictures in here? I was going to say, man. I'm rotating here because the sun is coming at me and I've got these blinds and that, that doesn't help. I, I, I thought your blinds just fell. If you, that was, that was something that I put up there to try to block the sun and that fell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We got a fun question. Our last question of the day, um, hopefully besides the real estate radio hour show, they want to know what are the best real estate TV shows slash YouTube channels that you guys watch? <clears throat> I'll tell you, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of into, I, I like unsellable homes. Uh, that's one, uh, actually something I, I do quite a bit. And, uh, it's these people that can't, these people can't sell their homes. And in our case, it's like, Hey, you got to do these repairs to get more money. But um, it's it's these two gals out uh, on the East Coast that uh, basically fix these places up and borrow the money and then split the profit with the people. Kind of like um, 
some uh, basically a flip without uh, a lot of the uh, owning the house and doing it. But um, you know, we had we used to we had Nicole Curtis on our, our radio yeah. show one time and. What a little what crazy. A firecracker she yeah, was. She was, she was a firecracker. And then it would come on live, and she was still kind of out there, but she was uh, much more uh, out there when it was she was off air, but she was something else. I think she'd be fun to have a beer with, to be honest with you, because I, oh, I think that sure. she's, when we when we we were down doing the Home and Garden show, they they used to treat us like, you know, show animals, go out and, hey, do this or do this live. And so we're out there live, and all of a sudden they, they uh, coordinated with, with having the HGTV star that was at, home and garden show back when they used to do that and had the the, the stars come in we get the interview it was kind of fun and you realize how real of people they are the second you meet them they're just like us they're normal people um they're they're scheduled they're busy they're trying to make a living and uh it was uh it was actually i really liked meeting her because she did not take any flack from either one of us i mean i think right out of the, the punch she's like well you're gonna sit there that's where i should sit and i started giggling and i'm like i'll sit over here um on the on the bench or whatever it was. Who are the guys with the magnolia again? I like that Chip and Joanna. Yeah, I like that one. I yeah. can't remember what it is, but I like those people too. They just yeah. got really good designs, and I think uh, um, some that I'm trying to steal for other houses. You know, little subtle, little subtle things, and um, they do. A, I think they do a great job. I follow you know a lot of on uh, videos online. I like to follow that Ryan Servant. Um, I think his name is that. Um, is out of New York. He, he's an interesting guy. Um, he's, he's expanding out of New York City now, too. He's doing other big executive level markets. And what, what I find interesting is like how they um, will treat a $130 million home and how do they market it and how do they go after it and how do they, you know, so I'm always looking at this. What's funny is that a lot of people watch those kind of shows for entertainment. I'm looking at it, too, from an R&D perspective, like, what are they doing that's different or how do they market? And then what I do is beyond the show. So, so Lisa's laughing at me the other day, beyond the show, I'll go and actually find these guys on Instagram. I'll find them on all the different social platforms. I look up their websites and I want to see the actual application. Now what happens is a lot of times TV land is showing you this new listing. That's a year and a half old. So it was, you know, so you have to really dig back in there and see what they did or how they did it. But it, it, it can be pretty impressive when you have a $30,000 budget for marketing a property versus, you know, 600 bucks. It, it's, it's a lot different. I don't, I don't mind like flip or flop, but the, the, what they say to redo a kitchen for 3,500 is impossible. So that doesn't work. Right. Nick, Nick, we met a girl in Jamaica. Yeah, I was just going to say that I, I'm Tally McKinney. She uh, works with the serpent team and she just started, they're doing a bunch of reality TV shows now on their YouTube and she's the host of one of them where they take, uh, you know, millennials, and they bring them into million dollar places. And whoever guesses the price closest gets a, a cash prize. But she was really nice. And she said a lot of good things about uh, Ryan Serpent. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the other thing is, too, guys, is that, you know, the, the sad reality is it's like if you're a nurse and you come home, you don't watch nursing shows. If you're a doctor, you know, or whatever your, your profession is. I come home and kind of, I'll be honest with you, the last thing I usually turn on is a real estate show. I, I like, I like honestly things that make me think about other things, you know, travel. Um, I like food channels. I like, you know, car shows. I like, you know, things that make me think differently and that, that those thoughts bring more creativity to my business um, versus being a copycat. You know, I, I look at like the, um, I just, when you're out all day showing houses, you don't want to sit on a show that says, Hey, let's go look at three houses and you will pick one of the three. There's no competitive offers. Oh, they got it. Congratulations. That's not the way the world works. You go out and show 50 houses, you write six offers, you get in multiple offers. You're literally, your people are crying on you because they lost three offers in a row. And you know, that's real TV. If you want reality TV, you should follow me around. Do you, do you watch Naked and Afraid too, like me? Yeah. Okay. I would die. I would. That is my nightmare, actually. So that's probably why I'm intrigued by that show. The people are that nuts. I know, I know. Walk around naked and let bugs bite them. Oh my god! Ick. I think that's why I watch it. I just, I every time I look at, it, I just can't believe they're doing it. Yeah. So I think a great idea would to have cameras following you around, Andy. That would be wild. <laughs> like what it would, it would be on? on normal. It would be on normal TV. Let's just say that. <laughs> hey, you know you. you me a hard time but i am pretty normal most of the time andy andy i'm not gonna say it i'm not going there 
Anyways, what do you guys got going on? We're finishing up our broadcast. Um, any uh, pitches? Yeah, check it out, Prasky.com. I've got all kinds of things going on this weekend, open houses, and uh, got some new listings coming. Um, so if you're looking for inventory, um, I'll tell you what, Chris and I both have houses coming all the time where we can you know, get you kind of ahead of the curve there. We can't break the rules, but we'll, we'll do a, a real close opportunity for you to get you there before anybody else because um, listings are where it's at right now. You should be chasing the big listing agents for the opportunities, not the buyer's agents. Yeah, I think too, I've got uh, some real fun luxury lifestyle type uh, properties coming into play really soon. So kind of working on that. I love the doing the marketing for those things and, and coming up with, uh, you know, trying to let people feel uh, the lifestyle of those listings. So looking forward to it. <laughs> I uh, You see on the screen there, Eric? Yeah. I, I think I've bought and sold about six houses for Eric. So he, he's one of my favorite customers. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap. Beautiful. All right, All right. gentlemen. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.